Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name is Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and I hope nobody got confused or upset about the new trailer for the podcast that went up yesterday. Um, I haven't put out a new trailer in forever, and I realized that I should do that, and so I did. So I'd love to know what you thought of it, if you liked it, because... I wanted to keep it short and sweet and to the point, and that's what I did. I don't know if that was the right decision to make. I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to all this podcasting stuff, if that doesn't show by now. Um, then again, I don't think any of us really know. We're just flying by the seat of our pants trying to figure it all out. If you do have a podcast and you would like to use that trailer to uh, help promote me, then that would be awesome. Go ahead, do that. You fully have my permission to use it. So, yeah. So today, I wanted to talk to you about finding representation. Because it's a topic I've been thinking about a lot lately. And it's a really tricky topic for me to talk about because I'm very self-conscious about this. And I, I probably shouldn't be. And I can think of at least three or four of my friends that would get after me for saying stuff like this. But as somebody who identifies as trans, who has this voice, I, it, I feel, I don't know, I feel weird when I talk about these topics. Now, LGBT content, when I'm just talking broadly about the community, I have no problem about that. I've been talking about issues in the community for a really long time, but this, this episode's going to get a little personal. So prepare yourself for that. Um, okay. As you all know, I am currently working on a new space opera series and I have a series about to come out, a dark fantasy series, Mask of the Gods. And it's been a real struggle for me in writing these when I think about, you know, representation and who I want to see in my fiction. And not only that I want to see represent representation of people like me, which I do, which is one of the reasons why I write, but also making sure I'm not excluding too many people from the stories. And this is something that I've become very hyper-conscious of, especially when I wrote Crucify My Love, because originally the cast for the story was going to be very small. It was going to be three to four people at most, and I had not made any of them female. And that says a lot more about me and my headspace when I was writing that than it does about society or anything else. But that's a topic for another episode. And if you want to hear it, do a call in and ask me, and then I'll talk about it. But um, that's, that's getting really personal. But I'm very glad that a female character, Granger, 
presented herself and became a very prominent character in the story. And I'm very excited to be writing a series that has asexual characters in it. And, um, actually, yeah, there are some straight characters in it. Um, the main characters are for the most part throughout the series so far on the LGBT spectrum somewhere. And that means a lot to me because that's an issue that I've struggled with my entire life. I have not seen, you know, gay heroes. I have not seen, you know, trans heroes in a way that really moved me. And it's one of the reasons why I desperately try to hunt that down in my own work. But when it comes to figuring out how to do this properly, that's where everything becomes tricky. Because I do think for a lot of us writers, and I hate to speak for us, I'm just going to speak for myself. You know, a lot of my writing over the years has revolved around stories that I don't see people telling that I am interested in. And since I can't find them somewhere else, I write them myself. Or characters that I don't see anybody like that, and I would like to, and so I write them myself. And this has always been a problem for me in trying to balance my own interests with the stories that I'm telling. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up is I talk to a lot of different kinds of people. And while my experience in the writing community on Twitter has been amazing and a lot of people encouraging me to go forward with the ideas as I'm wanting to do them, I have a history of, let's just say a lot of my mentors over the years who have told me that I will never be successful because my fiction is too queer. And they use that word, but not in a nice way. And it's something that I'm, I've struggled with. And it's something that I've started talking about online a bit more. And really trying to bring the conversation up. Not just because I'm amazed at how writers younger than me feel so free to express themselves and to really allow themselves to um, be a part, you know, to share those parts of themselves so openly. I mean, I didn't grow up seeing people like myself on TV who weren't simply queer-coded characters that we were never told whether or not they actually were gay or not for the most part. Um, there may, some were inferred. I mean, uncle Arthur was as close to gay as you could get without actually saying it, but you know, and this is why representation matters. Now I'm talking about my own experience because as somebody who has lived most of their life as kind of a gender queer or cisgendered, on some of my really horrible points in my life, white person, then, you know, I can't speak to what it's like to see, you know, your race or ethnicity 
in a story. I do feel like I can say that when it comes to gender, because in the few bits and pieces, especially of speculative fiction, which is where I really want to focus at least my conversation on this, I, I've seen so little good representation of either trans characters or gay characters. And usually because they're written by gay writers, with a few exceptions. And they really step, they really stand out to me when I do see them. Just because they are so rare. And in media, they're even rarer. You know, I think one of the things that instantly hooked me into Sense8, beyond just the psychedelic weirdness of the series, which is something that I am very fond of, was seeing a trans character played by a trans actress and seeing LGBT relationships that I felt like I could understand and connect with in a way that I'm not used to seeing in speculative fiction. And so for me, it's important to try to write those characters and bring them to life in a way that I think people will like and in a way that people will care about them. But more than anything, I don't ever want the character's sexuality or gender to be the sole reason for the story. I don't think that that should be a thing. Just like, I, I can only imagine how it feels to grow up black in America when so many celebrated films are about either the civil rights movement or when, you know, we enslaved people in this country. Because there are so many other people that you could, you know, if you, especially if you're doing a biopic, there are so many people that I would love to see a movie about just because their lives have to be f just phenomenal. Like, where's the George Clinton movie? Am I the only one that would want to see that? That would just be utterly amazing and bizarre because I can only imagine what George Clinton's life would have been like. But I'm okay with whatever happens. Just because, at least for me, like, one of my biggest problems with Bohemian Rhapsody. This is a good example of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about, you know, seeing people like me on screen. Seeing people that come from that queer point of view. Because this is a movie about a queer icon, Freddie Mercury. We can say it's about Queen all we want, but let's be honest, the movie is about Freddie Mercury. And I think the acting is really good in it. But I said this right after we watched it. I turned to Brian and I said, you know, it's amazing that we finally got a movie made about one of our heroes who happened to be a self-indulgent, narcissistic gay character who had, too, who had too much sex and did too much drugs and died of AIDS. Because, of course, that's the character they're going to do. Like, even if Freddie Mercury didn't exist, 
they would have invented him for the movies because that's the character we get. Whether it's Dallas Buyers Club or Philadelphia or just fill in the blank for a, you know, for goodness sakes, you know, the broke back mountain. We can't have happy queer characters. We can't have characters whose sexuality isn't central to who they are. Because then why else are we telling a story about them? We might as well do a straight person. Because when straight, heterosexual, cisgendered white people are seen as the norm, then the only reason you have to include a character that is not a white straight, cisgendered male is if their gender plays a role in their story. And I'm tired of it. I'm just so tired of it. And that's, I think, one of the things that I really loved about Captain Marvel is that it, in a way, could have been either Marvel or Carol Danvers. And I'm not saying that, you know, Carol being a female had no impact on the story. I think it did affect the way she related to the world and everything else. But the point of the movie wasn't, hey, look, it's a woman. Kind of like in the same way, you know, even with all of its Afrofuturism and everything, Black Panther wasn't, hey, look, he's black. It's, hey, look at this awesome superhero from this awesome place who does awesome things. That these aspects were part of who they were, and it informed who they were. And that made them work so much more for me, because it wasn't just about bringing that one aspect of them out. There there was a wonderful chance in the movie for them to do a shopping montage in Captain Marvel. And you can see them starting to go that way, and very quickly they just turn and she grabs some clothes off of a mannequin and off we go. Because they really could have gone the 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 way that you expect them to do a female character in media. Like we drive up to so many of those things. You know, we don't give her an obvious love interest in the story that she has to choose between the good, the guy who's good for her and the guy who's bad for her. And of course she's going to choose the guy who's bad for her because that's how rom-coms work. We didn't get any of that. And that made that movie special. And so here I am working on ideas for you know, a space opera. And it's a story I really want to tell. And I'm falling more and more in love with the world as the world comes into focus for me. And I really want to make the main character trans. I just do. Not because I want to make a statement or because fill in the blank. You know, I like writing characters who, especially the main characters that I have to spend a lot of time with, that I have a hook into them. And so, like with Shinobu and um, Crucify My Love, I identify with 
him constantly being in pain. That is an experience that we share, and thus it makes me makes it easier for me to empathize with the character and tell their story. Um, Nathan, in The Chain, shares a lot of the dynamics that I have with my friends and family. And so that made him easier for me to write. I, I really... And it may be a failing, or it may just be me living up to that whole write what you know. I like to have some kind of a hook into the character that I can relate to them so that I can tell their story to the best of my ability. And I really want this character to be trans. And this is why when I say representation matters, and it matters that it's not the sole reason that they exist in the story. Because my immediate instinct was to ask, well, how does her being trans affect the story? And truth be told, the character that I have in my mind, it doesn't. It kind of affects her backstory a little bit in how it all came about and all that. And that will probably be touched on in the story somewhere. But... As far as the character goes, no, it doesn't really affect how the other characters are going to treat her. It doesn't change the role she plays in her society. It doesn't affect any of that. It's just one of the factors on the character sheet about her. And this is how ingrained this way of thinking gets into my head. I find myself feeling like that's not good. People are going to want to know why she's trans and not just a woman. And my answer to that would be trans women are women. But maybe that's not enough. You see, because I don't see representation, it starts to make me worry. Like, if she's as strong as Ripley, right, to go to one of my favorite female leads in a sci-fi story if she's as strong as ripley are people gonna i know people are going to say i don't even have to say i think or i wonder i know people are going to say well she's only that strong because she used to be a man and if i make her dainty or girlish then oh that's just them playing up those gender stereotypes so that they're accepted as a female and I know this is how it is because I see this in my own, in, in the way people react to me when I come out to them, when I, when they learn the basic truth of me, because, you know, my role models in, in some ways, as far as what femininity looked like, that's Joan Jett, you know, that kind of a woman. I'm not going to go through a whole long list right now. Not what this episode is about. But that's the that's my go-to. Like, everyone Sigourney Weaver is played for the most part. You know, those are my kind of go-to characters. Right? Catherine Mulgrew. And so I find myself struggling to tell this story. I find myself struggling to deal with this character on their terms because they're wanting to to show me how they live in this universe and how they 
want their story to be told so that I can write their story. And so all of these horrible things start creeping into my mind about how am I going to justify that? Like I have to justify it to anyone. And that's why I really wanted to make this like a confessional episode of the podcast. Cause I do these from time to time because, you know, I wish I was as free in my mind as I am in my rhetoric. I wish I was as free in my mind as I see a lot of the younger generation being. Because through so much of my life, I had to hide everything about me. I had to hide that I liked men. I had to hide that I liked dressing in women's clothes that I like to have painted nails, that I like to wear makeup from time to time. I had to hide these things. And in some ways, given the place that I live in America's heartland, I still have to hide those things. Because safety matters. And so I've gotten so used to and so ingrained in this idea that I have to justify the way I dress, the way I present myself, the way I talk, the way I carry myself in public. I'm putting those those pathetic, horrible thoughts onto my characters, insisting that, well, if you're going to be out and trans in this story and not just a cisgendered woman, justify that. Like, that's necessary. Like, that's something that should ever happen. But because we're not used to seeing ourselves, no matter what that means when you say myself, no matter what that means, if you're not, especially if you're a sci-fi fan, if you're not a white, cisgendered, heterosexual male, Odds are, you have very few characters that you can point to that you see yourself represented in. And thus, we put so much pressure on these characters. Like, I'm thinking about you know, Star Trek, which is one of my absolute favorite franchises of all time. Like, I love Star Trek. You have no idea. And I look at Culber, and I look at Stamets, And there's so much pressure on those characters in my mind because finally I have an out gay character in the franchise that I love. And in this one, I have two and they're played by actors I respect and that I love. And so I'm holding them out to be like the perfect representation of a gay character in sci-fi because I feel like if they don't justify themselves, if they don't prove that they deserve to be there, they're going to take that away from us and we're not going to get that again. And when I say that, it's so ridiculous because, you know, when I think of the Orville, I don't have that pressure for Bordas. I don't feel that pressure for Bordas and Clyden's relationship at all because they're not really gay. 
they're aliens. And see, that's what we're used to getting. That's what we always get, right? Just last night, I rewatched the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, The Host. And at the very end of it, and I don't know why this struck me so hard last night, but at the very end of it, if, if you're not familiar with the episode, spoilers, if you're not, it's a great episode. You should definitely go check it out. It's the introduction of the Trill, and Beverly Crusher falls in love with Odan, and then Odin, Odan dies and is put into Will Riker's body. And she struggles for a little bit, but she gets over it. And then Odin has to be taken out of Will and put into his new host, and the new host that's sent is a female. And there's a moment at the end. And it just hit me so hard watching it this time, the way the scene was written. She doesn't reject Odan, Crusher, doesn't reject Odan because Odan is a woman, but because in the last week, Odan has had three bodies, three bodies, three distinct bodies, and that's too much change. He was the person that she met him as, she was, he was Will Riker, and now he's this third person that she doesn't know. And she says that that is too much change for me to take. How long are you going to have this body? And you see, her concern is not, oh, well, you know, I'm not a lesbian, so I can't still love you. It's not about the gender of the body at all. The way that it's written, it's very beautifully written that it's just about the change. And we're allowed to have this tender moment. And we're allowed to have this tender moment because Odan is not human. And it's solely because of the alien nature of Odan that we are allowed to have that moment. And this is something that Star Trek and various other franchises have given us over the years. We're allowed to have a queer character from time to time so long it is it is part of their species. My cat Jinx has decided to join us on the podcast right now, and I'm going to allow it. Um, so, but that that that's why when I see Clyden and Bordis, they don't get in the queer category in my head. They get in the alien category in my head. Because I'm just used to seeing, oh, they're going to queer code some aliens so that they can go, look, see, we, we did a gay ca character without doing a gay character. Because see, even with Bordis and Clyden, they're not really gay because everyone on their planet is male. And in fact, they come from kind of misogyny prime, where any woman born, any female born, is forced to have a sex change like we learn, happened to Clyden, and like they do to Bordas and Clyden's child. So their gender is actually irrelevant to their relationship, and it's not actually a gay relationship. It is the standard relationship among their people. Well, I don't want to other my characters, and I don't want to utter, I don't want to other any aspect of myself or of a, of a person like that. 
you know, there's a species that's going to be in the new sci-fi series that are agendered. And I thought about that a lot because it worried me because I know that that's not representation because they're an alien. That's just the way their species is. And so this kind of cuts both ways. And until we get to a point where you don't have to justify, well, that's why it's a woman, or that's why they're this ethnicity, or that's why they're this sexuality. Until you don't have to justify it anymore, those justifications are going to keep coming, and they're going to keep othering us. And that's why we have to find our representation where we're just people where we are just who we are and that's why we're in the story because that happens to be the way the character is i'm not saying that they can't speak out for their community or be a part of their community or anything like that i'm not saying that at all but i'm tired of the othering yeah I hope you got something out of this episode, if you did and you liked it. And the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast in general. Please do. It helps me out a lot. tells the algorithm to share me with more people. If you got a buck you can spare, down in the show notes you'll see a link that says Anchor Community Support. If you click that, you can join the project at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That money helps me to do everything that I do on this show and with pretty much everything so thank you in advance if you don't have any money that's okay that's all right just share the podcast with somebody you think will enjoy it that helps out a bunch too you can see i've been thinking about a lot of things lately if you've got something on your mind that you'd like to hear me talk about just go to anchor.fm and download the anchor app follow project shadow and you'll see a link that says voice message. You can leave me a message up to one minute long. It can be a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like to hear me discuss on the show. I'd love to get more of those. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm C.E. Dorset. That's my definitely my network of choice. If you want to find me anywhere else, just head over to projectshadow.com. You'll find links to all my stuff there. Okay? I hope you had fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love to know what you think, so please drop me a line and let me know, because I'm probably just overthinking it like always. And until next time, don't forget, have the fun. <laughs>